Amen. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 27. Psalm 27 for our passage of Scripture. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my king. Isn't that a glorious thing to come to church and to know God's going to meet us? And that, that we can worship in such a way that demonstrates we're in touch with the reality of who he is. And that even unbelievers in our presence would say, surely God is in this place. By the way that we worship. And the way that we sing. And the way that we honor our God. Let's come to the Lord and, and ask his blessing on his word. Father, I thank you that you are faithful and true and good and holy and majestic. And there is no one like you. you are the, you're matchless in your worth and in your excellency and in your perfections. You are high and lifted up. And yet you condescend to reveal yourself to us. And you reveal yourself to us in the scriptures. And Lord, as we enter into Psalm 27, I just pray that you would breathe upon it and that the word would just come alive in our hearts. That you would prepare our hearts to receive a word from you. Lord, not the, the, the mere words of men, but the words of God that are life-giving and transformative and that are like light straight into our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would tailor a word that is better than the one I prepared and that you would make it like arrows ready to go into every one of our hearts and meet us where we need a word. Help us to see glory in your text. Help us to taste and see that you are good as we're awakened to the truths of your word. And I just pray that you would fill me with the spirit, that you would help me to be self-forgetful and to, to love your people well as I herald the news that you would be honored in it and that your people would be helped. And that even if someone is lost here today, that, that they might be found in Christ, that they might be raised up from the dead, that they might hear like Lazarus come forth and come out from the dead. Father, would you help us now? In Jesus' name, amen. So it was, I think it was early January. I, uh, I had one of those nights. I was just starting to get sick with COVID and kind of a little delirious. You know, we had been up for like a week straight. And I went out to get the mail and it was kind of getting dark and the failing light and stuff like that. And I grab the mail and I come back in and we had one of those Christmas reefs still up on our door. So I come in, you know, and I open the door and I'm kind of checking out the reef, you know, just not really expecting anything to go down when all of a sudden something flies at my head out of the reef. You know, it's like the first thing I'm thinking is like, this is a bat or something. So I'm like, you know, get back, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I'm ducking around and I, and I notice it's a bird, you know, and it's like something out of Hitchcock, you know, just coming at my head and flying around the, the, the front of the house. And I'm just freaking out, like hollering, like, cause I'm not quite realizing what's happening. And it was just like an imminent attack just came out. Um, and so, and there's footage, you can ask Clarissa, I think there's some ring footage of this whole thing, but the reality was I was not expecting an attack and I wasn't expecting that a bird would be flying out of the middle of nowhere at my, my head. And that's how attacks come in our lives. That's how fear sometimes comes. We don't expect certain things to happen in life. And sometimes we just get surprised. And we're living in a world that can be like that. We're living in a world that, that has great problems looming about. We're living in a world where fears just get produced like they're manufactured from some factory in our souls that we just start to get worried about things. We get worried because we see war on our European front, we get worried because we're still in the middle of kind of this residual effects of a pandemic. 
We get worried for our families. We get frightened by so many dangers that, that come into our lives. And something happens to us. We start to allow the fears to just loom large in our minds and they become exaggerated. They become like the bird flying around my head and really it took all of what, five minutes to get out of the house. But our fears start to consume us and we're going to be walking into a psalm that was penned by David who was no stranger to fear. And his were not petty things like birds flying around his head, but he had armies encamped on his doorstep. He had giants like Goliath up in his face ready to take off his head. He knew what danger was. He knew what real enemies are. And deep down, we all know that we have things that we're frightened of in this world. No matter how tough we are, there's always something that will punch you in the gut and take the wind right out of you. And this psalm is meant to teach us something about how to seek the face of God in the midst of the many fears in this world. And it's not just stuff out there. The Bible actually says that we have a real enemy in the devil. And that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. 1 John 5.19 and we've got an enemy inside of us. The Bible says we have a corrupt, fallen nature. So there's something inside of us that's broken and bent that gravitates towards the wrong thing. And how many of us know that to be true? Like you've, you look back on your life and you've made so many foolish decisions. And you're like, did I really do that? Yes, that was you. That was me. We have an enemy without and an enemy within. And Psalm 27 is food for your soul to help you get a vision of God in the face of real fears and real enemies and real trials and real troubles in your life. And how do we respond when the battlefield comes to your front doorstep? Or when the battlefield is waged in your mind and you can't get away from the fears that are strangling the life out of you. What are those things that are crawling up the bedpost, keeping you up at night? Those fears that sort of just won't go away. These are the things that David is going to help us with in Psalm 27, and they are divinely inspired truths for you if you'll lay hold of them. And we're going to see that David's going to give us like four anchors to be like ballast sort of in our boat as we're facing the storms of life and the real enemies all around and, and, the, and the, 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 the things that kind of are coming at us. He wants to give you some anchors to drop so you got weight that's going to steady you in the midst of the storm. And I see four things in this text. And we're going to see them as we walk through. Number one, faith looks to God with confidence. Number two, faith seeks the presence of God. Number three, faith prays desperately unto God. And then four, and finally, faith waits confidently upon the Lord. So let's read Psalm 27 and just see if you can find those as they pop out at you. Psalm 27 and verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell 
in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in, the shelter, in His shelter in the day of trouble, and He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. And He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and mother have forsaken me. But the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of, your, of, of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. And verse 13 says, And I believe that I should look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This was written by a man who knew exquisite trials. He knew what it was like to have enemies in his own home. He knew what it was like to have a father-in-law who would rather chuck spears at him than give him a hug. He knew what it was like to have a father-in-law who would give away his wife to another man while he was out on the battlefield. He knew what it was like to be hunted down like some wild animal in the wilderness and pursued hotly by those who were supposed to love him most. So is it any wonder he says in verse 10, my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. He knew what it was to taste that. And he knew what it was to focus on God in the midst of fear. And that's what this psalm is about. It's coming to God, seeking the face of God in the face of your fears. So, anchor number one. Faith looks to God with confidence. Did you see it there in verse one? The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And you see, like, David's got enemies jumping around all up in this text, right? Verse 2, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me, though war arise against me, and then you jump down to verse 11. He's like, teach me, O Lord, your ways. Lead me in a level path. Because of what? Because of my enemies. False witnesses, verse 12, have risen against me and they breathe out violence. This is a man who knows what it means to be attacked. Maybe some of you feel like I have been attacked my whole life. Maybe some of you feel like there's foes on every side. Maybe some of you feel like it's hard to live as a Christian in a world that seems to be at war with you. That hates the very thing you stand for. And Jesus would remind you that they hated me. They're going to hate you. Now, we don't want to add offense to the Gospel, but the Gospel is offensive. When you get up in somebody's face and you tell them they're a sinner who needs to be reconciled to God, but God loves them so much that He sent His Son into the world to rescue sinners, people don't like that. Unless the Spirit of God is gripping their heart. Unless the Spirit of God is bringing conviction of sin. Unless the Spirit of God is drawing them to Himself. And then they get this vision that David had. One thing I have asked and that I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. They start seeing God for who He is. And then they see their sin and their need and they run to Him. But you're going to have enemies if you live as a Christian in this world. David surely had enemies. 
But his focus was not on the enemies. His focus was ultimately not on the, 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 the evil things that were happening around him. He said, we got to get the first thing right. My focus has to be on God. I'm going to look to God first. Then I'm going to look at my problems through the lens of looking at the Almighty God. So he had confidence in his God. That's why he could say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? David's a good physician. He knows the medicine we need. And he gives it to us first. Look to God. Look to him confidently. The great expositor and preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones once put it like this. He said, never start with your problems. Never start with your problems. Always start with God. Always start with heaven and then get down to the business of dealing with earth. The things of the earth. He was after something. He saw that what, what, what helps you in the midst of your problems, what helps you in the midst of your struggles, what helps you in the midst of the face of fear is a vision of God. Of seeing God who He is. That's how He lays before us in, in, in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. You see that imagery? This is the only place in the Old Testament where it says that the Lord is light. Is it any wonder that Jesus in the New Testament is called the light of the world? Behold, light has come into the world. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. This is light. This is the God who is light. And He can shatter the darkness. He can deal with your darkness. He can deal with your evil. He can deal with your sins. And surely, He can deal with your enemies. So David saw that he needed to have a vision of God first. And this is like echoing Romans 8, right? If God be for us, who can be against us? I mean, if you got God on your side, nobody can ultimately and finally stand against you. Who can bring a charge against God's elect if it is God who justifies? Who can bring an accusation to you if Christ Jesus died for you to pay for your sins? At the end of the day, as a Christian, you stand before God and God alone. And if you have been brought into the family of God, you do not have to fear the accusations of men and women in this world. Because you stand as one who has God who is for him. And that's the question that Paul wrestles with, that David sees and says, listen, if God is for you, who on earth could be against you? Not even all the armies of hell could avail themselves against you. Jesus said, not even the gates of Hades will prevail against the church. Matthew 16. Well, how can he say that? Because that's nothing to God. The armies of Israel before David were trembling at the sight of Goliath. David looked at Goliath and he saw Goliath through the lens of his great God. And he said, Who, how are we going to let this uncircumcised Philistine talk trash on our God? Let me get a sword. You know, you remember the story like Saul like puts his armor on him and David's just like so little and, and, and ruddy. He can't even fit into the armor. And he's like, let's just not do the armor. We're not going to try to, to fight the battle in th that kind of armor. We need the armor of God. And, and so David just takes a couple stones and a sling, goes before the giant Goliath and has faith in his God and he ends up taking his head. Why? Because if God be for you, who can be against you? When evildoers assail you to eat up your flesh and your adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Verse 2. That's what David experienced. 
Goliath fell right before him with a rock stuck in his cranium, right in his head, dead to the ground. God was for him. God was with him. His strength and his portion was God. Is that us? When we face the trials and difficulties of life, is your strength in God? Is your security in the reality that God is for you? If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Romans 8, right? How will He not also freely give us what we need with Christ. If He gave His Son, He will give us what we need in this world to deal with life's battles, to deal with life's difficulties. That's what David is seeing here. Though a, verse 3, Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. The confidence lies in God, not your own strength. How many of us today are just living in our own strength and you fail? You live in your own strength and you keep failing. Well, I'm going to do better next time. You live in your own strength and you get beat down. You start getting those accusations and I'm, oh, I'm, I'm going to argue back in my own strength and I'll show them. But you weren't fighting the battle in the strength of God. You weren't using the weapons of warfare at your disposal, which is a deep, vibrant relationship and confidence with God. And you continue to fall into sin. Well, this is the answer. This is what David puts before us. Get the first thing right. The Lord is my light and my salvation. When he says the Lord is my light, he's talking about moral excellence, moral beauty, moral perfection. The Lord is my light. There's no darkness in him at all. You can trust him. The Lord is my light. He's a light to my path. He's truth. He gives me understanding. He's light. He banishes the darkness. The Lord is my light also conveys the idea of holiness. The holy purity of God. The otherness of God. The, the transcendent radiance of God's beauty. He's totally unlike anything else. There's no one like Him. There's no one in the world that it could be said, He is light and in Him is no darkness at all. Except, of course, when Jesus Christ comes into the scene and says, I am the light of the world. Because He was claiming to be the Lord, the Yahweh of this passage. The Lord, when you see it all capitals, it means Yahweh, the covenant name of God. He's the light. He's morally perfect. And 1 John 1.5 says that very thing. This is the message that we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. You can bank on somebody like that. You can bank on the character of God when you realize the Lord is your light and He's your salvation. He's not just one who can save. He is salvation. If you look to the Lord, that's when salvation comes into your life. And David knew what it was like to be delivered from enemies time and time again. Whether it was Saul in the caves of the wilderness, he was delivered from Saul's hand. Whether it was the Philistine or the Philistine armies. Whether it was those in his own household who betrayed him and wanted to murder him. David knew what it was to be delivered from his enemies again and again and again. And that's how he could say, though the whole army and war rise up against me, and he was the king, so that could happen to him, yet I will be confident in the Lord. And notice the language in verse, the end of verse 1 says, the Lord is my stronghold. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
That idea, that picture is stronghold, refuge, palace, something with with high walls, something that's going to keep the enemy out, something that's going to protect you, provide safety, provide refuge. Do you long for that? Like when when the trials and troubles come into your life, do you have a place of refuge? Do you have a hiding place? Do you have one you can go to? The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. Proverbs 18. Is it any wonder that the name of the Lord is a strong tower? He's a strong tower. When you get inside a strong tower, the arrows hit the walls, not your flesh. And we all know what it's like to live in a world where fiery darts come at us. Maybe they come at you in the media. Maybe they come at you in relationships. Maybe they come at you in the workplace. The darts come. The accusations come. And if they're true, own it. But if they're because you're a Christian, because you're a a man of faith, a woman of faith, a child of faith, somebody who's living out their faith at school, when those arrows come, you run to the Lord as your strong tower and He will be a great help. So David's confidence is in the Lord who is light. And as Christians, our confidence is in the light of the world. Are you struggling with your own darkness? Are you struggling with the darkness within? Are you struggling feeling trapped by darkness? I'm in a dark place. I feel like the real enemy, my greatest enemy is me. And I don't know how to get unstuck from this. I don't know how to get out of the darkness. Well, come to the light of the world. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once put it like this. He said, salvation finds us in the dark, but it does not leave us there. It gives light to those who are in the valley of the shadow of death. Are you longing for Jesus to come and find you in the dark? And rescue you from that place. He will do it. He's mighty. He's mighty to save. That's why David says, the Lord is my salvation. And that's why Jesus says there's salvation in no other name of the New Testament. There's salvation in no other name except Jesus. John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Or how about this? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the darkness within. If you're in a dark place, come to the Lord who is light. 1 John uh, 1.6 reminds us that even as professing believers, it's possible to walk in darkness even though you claim to have fellowship with the light. 1 John 1.6 says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I remember when this really just came home to me. I was eating at one of my favorite restaurants in Louisville and... I struck up a conversation with this guy next to me and he was, you know, eating uh, his food and it got to the point where he asked me what I do. And I said, I'm a pastor. And he was like immediately kind of like simultaneously uncomfortable and yet starting to just share everything with me. And he told me he was a Christian. And 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 as the conversation unfolded, he said, you know, that he had no problem smoking marijuana every day and there was no problem that he was sleeping with his girlfriend. It didn't matter that he was doing the kinds of things that are walking in darkness. And I brought him right to this text and I said, listen, if you're going to claim to be a Christian, John says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, the Lord of light, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And he looked at me, and I'll never forget it. He said, 
well, I guess I'm just a liar. But here's the, the encouraging thing. 1 John goes on to 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we don't have to stay in the darkness. And I encouraged him to repent. I don't know what happened to him, but listen, if that's where you're at, come out of the darkness into the light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? So we've seen like David is giving us a confident picture of what it means to look to God in the face of fear, in the face of darkness, and in the face of troubles. But then he points us to the reality that faith goes beyond looking and it goes on to seeking. So anchor number two. Faith seeks the presence of God. Faith seeks the manifest presence of God. Because there's a difference between God's omnipresence. He's everywhere. So he's simultaneously here with us and over with the folks at Target down the road. Right? He's, he's present all over the world. He's actually sustaining the world in its existence. But that is not the presence that David is talking about. David is talking about the manifest presence of God. The special fellowship. The, the meeting with God. The sense that He's there. The awareness. The fellowship. The glory. The thing that, that, that when you're in His presence, you know something's happening. God is in this place. Look at verse 4. This is, this is the heart cry of David in this psalm. One thing have I asked of the Lord. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. What a glorious thing it is to know you're in the presence of God. Like God's with you. Like God is, God is surrounding you. God is, He sent His Spirit to not only be with you, but to indwell you if you're a Christian. Like God has made a home with you. God, is, God has set up a tent that you can go and meet with Him. And the church is spoken of like that in Scripture. It's a tent, the meeting place of the Spirit of God. When we meet, the Spirit comes. And David knew he had that single-minded, laser-like focus on God. He wanted God more than anything else. His passion was to know and fellowship and enjoy and behold his God. He knew what it was to experience God in the trials but he also knew what it was to go and meet God in the sanctuary. Go and meet God in the tent of meeting. Go and, and worship God. And you remember when he was carrying the ark, or he had them carrying the ark into the city, he would slaughter a bull every so often, every six paces, rejoicing and dancing and praising. And he was like a kid just dancing and enjoying God. And his wife rebukes him and says, what are you doing? You're dancing in this way. Like, what's wrong with you? And he said, I shall be even more undignified than this. Because he was in the presence of God. He enjoyed God. Is that our heart? Do we have that one thing? Remember Martha and Mary, right? One thing is needed. Well, this is that same drumbeat. Except this is about the presence of God. This is about the manifest presence of God. And one thing I want to encourage you guys, like David is asking to be in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. And, and we don't have quite that New Testament parallel in terms of the church is not a building, but it is the gathered assembly of believers. But you better believe when we come to gather in a church building that God meets us that God shows up and that we actually have an opportunity to meet with Him. And do we come with that kind of energy and intensity and longing and, 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 and a desire just to see more of God? Have you ever thought when you come into church, 
I'm going to meet with God today. Among my brothers and sisters. The picture in Revelation chapter 21 is of heaven coming down and coming down to earth and a new heaven and new earth are created and God shall dwell with His people. It's as if God comes from heaven to invade earth and to recreate it and to say, I will be with My people. And that's how you will know that they're Mine. Do you realize that's what's happening? We get a little sliver of that, a little taste of that, a little foretaste when we come to church. Do you long? Is that like the highlight you know, of your week? I get to come to be in the presence of God, to experience God manifesting among us, to hear God speaking through His Word. It's like being 40 days up on the mountain. Moses, right? He comes down and what? Is he all bored? He comes down and his face is radiant like an angel. And the people are like, put the veil on, man. Can't be dealing with that. But he just radiated the love of God, the joy of God, the life of God. Is that something you long for? Dear brothers and sisters, is that something you long for? Are you hungry for revival? Are you hungry for awakening? Are you hungry for something new to happen in your soul? Come to this psalm and drink it in and see it as this idea of coming up under the fountain of blessing. That's what this psalm is. It's like opening the tap, coming up under the fountain of blessing. Now, one thing in the pandemic that we've kind of experienced, right, is we had to start taping off our water fountains and we had to, you know, like make sure nobody was drinking out of them for a certain amount of time. But ultimately, when you get your face up under that fountain, you know, sometimes it just gets all over the place, right? Um, My son, Isaiah, he's known for... Uh, going to all the sinks in the house and he'll just jump up on the counter and like stick his face under and the the water will just come and whatever gets in his nozzle or whatever (laughs) whatever gets in the face and like makes it inside he's refreshed by but ultimately I just want you guys to think about this like that that should be a picture of our heart for God we should want to get up under the fountain like if you know where the blessing is if you know where the fountain is You just want to get under the tap and just be like, Lord, pour it down. And that's God's heart for you. Like, get up under the fountain. One thing I have needed and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and do what? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. What's that image? It's like this idea of gazing. It means to look. It means to behold. It means to stare intentionally. It means to have that kind of intensity of examination. It it, it means to long to see. It's kind of like when you look at the stars on a beautiful night, right? And you're gazing up at those stars. And what do you see? You see glorious radiant little spheres of gas glowing in the sky and you cannot help but marvel at them you're just you're gazing you're seeing you're beholding there's wonder there's radiance and you take it in that's what david is calling us to as we look to god and that could just be like a little ethereal. So let me help you help you a little more with this. Like when you gaze upon God in his word, when you gaze upon God in creation, nobody stands before the, the, the Grand Canyon and goes, oh, look what time plus chance and a little bit of matter can do. You know, you, you're in awe of it. You're in awe of God. You look at the waterfall, Niagara Falls, you're in awe of God. You look at the stars and you realize like, that God created billions and billions and billions of stars that are hotter than our sun, that are dwarfing our sun in, it, in their size, and that God not only created the billions of stars, but He knows them all by name. And He holds them in existence. That's the God we gaze upon. That's the God who says He's light. 
He makes the stars just so we can marvel. He makes the, the sun and the moon and He makes the earth and He makes the storms and then He shows us that He can calm the storm. What is Jesus doing all through the Gospels but just defying the natural laws of the world? Right? He's raising the dead. He's, he's, he's calming storms. He's like, oh, is there a leper there? Let me touch the leper. And the leprosy goes away. That's what Jesus does. He conquers those sorts of things. He reverses the effects of the curse. He defies the laws of nature because He's the Creator of nature. And so David comes up under the fountain and he just gazes. How much gazing are we doing? How much looking into the, the beauty of Scripture? How much looking into the beauty of the world do you do and just marvel? How many of our problems, how many of our foes would seem so insignificant to us if we're like, my God is the God who made the stars and knows them by name. My God is the one who says the nations are like a drop in the bucket compared to Him. Like, none of these problems are going to phase him. So he's got me. He gazes upon the beauty of the Lord because he's seeking the fellowship of God. Do you want to know God in that way? Have you ever kind of wondered, like, how can I know God better? How can I know God more? How could I actually experience fellowship and communion and the love of this great sovereign majestic creator of the universe and some of you i know in your hearts right now you're like that's just that's just too much for me to get my mind around i don't understand how i could relate to this god but he's not just the god of the stars he's the god who took on flesh and dwelt among us he's the god who tabernacled among us and David longed to go to the tabernacle. Guess what God does in Jesus? He sends the tabernacle to us. He says, I'm God in your midst. And he laid his life down on a cross to rescue you from your sins, which are separating you from God. And the tabernacle came and the tabernacle went to the cross and the tabernacle died on behalf of sinners and the tabernacle raised up out of the grave in a new glorified body so you don't have to fear death, which is the last enemy, the Bible says. This tabernacle wants to meet with you. This tabernacle is Jesus. This tabernacle is the face of God in the face of Christ. Ready to meet with you and forgive you of your sins. Have you ever had that happen in your life? Perhaps today is a day to be honest about it and come to Him in real faith. To say, I'm, I'm, just, I'm done pretending. I'm done doing my own thing. I'm done doing the religious pretending and I'm going to come to Jesus as the tabernacle who came so I can meet with God and experience this wonderful relationship that I was meant to have. And I'll tell you what, nothing else will be right in the world if you're not right with your God. And if you've not received the one He sent to save you. So David realizes, verse 5, that God is his hiding place. Look, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So listen, like God is your hiding place. He's your shelter. Corey Temboom wrote a book called The Hiding Place, which was about her encounter in Nazi Germany. Um, she was a Dutch Christian. Her parents were Christian. And they were in, in, they looked at the evil of Nazi Germany and they said, we're hiding the Jews and we'll risk our life to do it because this is what God would have us to do. You know what? The Hebrew midwives risked their lives to save Moses, right? And all the, the babies in Egypt. We're going we're gonna to be hiding some Jews up in here. And so they had a hiding place for the Jews. But as that story unfolds, she eventually gets caught, thrown into a prison camp, concentration camp with other Jews, and she realizes that she needs a hiding place. 
She realizes that she needs God to be her hiding place. She loses her sister. She loses many of her family in that concentration camp. And later, she writes a book to testify of God's faithfulness through it all because she learned what it meant to know that the Lord is our hiding place. Verse 5, He will hide me in the shelter. His shelter, right? In the day of trouble. He'll conceal me under the cover of His tent. He's going to put a tent up. It doesn't mean that evil's not going to happen to you. It doesn't mean that suffering's not going to happen. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to get punched in the gut every now and again. But when you're under the covering of God, He brings you through it. Psalm 23 for even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, Lord. It's a good shepherd. He's with you in the darkness. He's with you in the day of trouble. And he's a shelter and a hiding place for you. And when you get that relationship with God and when you get that protection and safety of being in his presence and when you know that he's going to care for you and be a covering to you then you start to realize like this God's worth singing about this God's worth praising this God's worth giving the glory to this God's worth making melody in your heart unto the Lord and when you sing you consummate the joy that you have in God do you realize that? Like when we sing, it's like your joy's not complete until you're singing. Right? And we see this all around. Like C.S. Lewis was famous for pointing this out. We, we praise what we enjoy. And it doesn't really get completed until we praise. So the lover praises his beloved. So the tourist praises the Mona Lisa. So the, the, the person who's before a beautiful sunset stands in awe and invites somebody passerby to look on and praise. It's as if instinctively inside of us, we cannot help but praise the very things that we enjoy. And we want to invite others into it. How much more with our great God? How much more should the singing arise? How much more should the songs bubble up? How much more should there be a revival of passion for God among us? This is God we're talking about. This is the Lord we're talking about. This is the tabernacle who dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. The Father gave His Son so that you could know Him and be forgiven and that your alienation from Him would be taken out of the way. Perhaps some of you in here today are still alienated from God. There's still separation. There's still division. There's still a foreignness. There's still a sense in which you don't feel safe because the wrath of God upon sin is upon you. Because... The anger of the Lord upon sin is something you fear because the presence of a very real judgment to come. You don't feel like He's a hiding place because He's exposing where you're at. But He doesn't leave us there. He sends His Son in divine love on a rescue mission. And beloved, that rescue mission is for you. That saving work that Jesus did upon the cross is for you so that you can have a hiding place. I'm just sensing that we're going to have to cut this sermon in two because there's so much here. And there's a sense in which God wants to say to us right now that we focus on these first two things, getting it right, right? We're going we're gonna to look to God in confidence and we're going we're gonna to seek Him in fellowship and seek His face. And there's a sense in which we just desperately need Him. And those last two points, we're going to pick those up. But that crying out in desperation that we see. Maybe it's a good place to end here. Hear, O Lord. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. 
And my heart says to you, Lord, your face do I seek. There's a sense of a desperation in crying out to God, please. I seek you, Lord. I know you're calling me. I know you long to, to draw me in. I, lo- I know you long for me to be your child. And that's why you sent Jesus. Well, there's a sense of desperation in, 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 in David. There's a sense in which he's calling out to God as his only hope. There's a sense of familial relationship. Like, God, you're my God. Please be gracious to me. He's leaning on the grace of God. And maybe you need to lean upon the grace of God offered to you in Jesus Christ today. Maybe you've been laboring in darkness. You've been trying to fellowship with God who's light and you're walking in darkness and it's not. It's like oil and water. You need to get out of the darkness and you need to get your life right with Christ. Maybe you've known the Lord for a while, but you've just totally abandoned Him. And He's summoning you today to get right. He's calling you out of that to get your heart right with God. So as I have the worship team come up, I want you all to be thinking as we encounter the Lord who is my light and my salvation, as we encounter the stronghold of our life, as we encounter the light of the world, as we encounter this great God who's summoning you to deal with Him today and trust in His Son whether you are a child of God, blood-bought, or you feel distant and without hope, seek the face of God in Christ in a world filled with fears, in a heart that may be full of darkness that you've been sucked into, and you come to Christ. And just deal with the Lord in your heart. And call unto the Lord, and He'll save you. Confess your sin. Believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead, and He will meet you and save you. Call upon the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father God, as we, as we contemplated these truths, they're just so marvelous and so rich and so powerful, but Lord, they speak to the core of where we're at. And David knew he needed a savior. David knew he needed a rescuer. David was a picture of great faith and trust in God, but he was a man who was in need of forgiveness. Psalm 51 was a picture of his repentance after his sin. And Father, I just pray wherever we're at today, if we just need to be honest before God and really repent of sin, really come to Christ, just pray that that. In our hearts, we, we would do that. I pray, God, that you would help us. I pray that you would revive us, O oh Lord. I pray that you would cause songs to bubble up in our soul and that we would praise you and honor you and trust in you and obey you and follow you. And Lord, that we would marvel at the majestic Lord of light who is our stronghold. In Jesus' name, amen.